Does the TikTok generation care about benefits? Of course they don't care. This is about parents fucking. And the TikTok generation (laughs) is not, they're going to be horrified by the concept. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. It's our final episode of the season. I thought you were going to say of the summer, which is also true. It's essentially our final episode Don't end of the this summer. summer before it's over. No, no, no. But this what? is the last episode that we're doing in the summer. By the time we come back, it will be the fall. That's right. And, and to be honest, we're doing it so we can have a summer because we didn't, you know, we are ready to have a summer. Um, Although, I know not everyone around the world is, is in that position, but... They, we live in Toronto and they, I think there are some statistics that say that Toronto is like the city, the major city in the world that's been in lockdown the longest. Oh, absolutely. That's true. Yeah. People, Toronto got out of lockdown a week ago. Like (laughs) the other day. Yeah. (laughs) After months and months. So anyway, we're, we're taking our summer, but last episode of the season. And I mean, look, I'm very, very happy to be sitting here with you doing this, but you know what I realized? Had we waited another week to record this episode, we could have done it in person because Uh by that time we'll be like out of our vaccine quarantines. So that will be a big excitement to, uh, you know, to get back to maybe. I am out of my vaccine quarantine in 48 hours, like literally 48 hours from the time of this recording. It will be two weeks since I got my second shot. I am ready to party. I mean, I, I will be 20 all over again. I told you what I've been doing. Um, like everybody is getting their second shots in rapid succession around here. They're doing full on like stadium vaccination events, like blasting pop songs uh, and everybody I know, I have their freedom day, i.e. when it's two weeks after their <laughs> vaccine in my calendar, just so I can have like a party a day because soon enough, it's going to be everybody. I'm so, so into it. Anyway, with that said, for our final episode, last time we asked you to suggest, or we asked you to set the lineup for today's podcast and you have responded. The lineup is set, dictated by you. So here we go. We are talking about what you're telling us to talk about. Um, Yeah, let's get into it. Okay, so the first uh, part of the podcast is set by Lexi. Lexi wrote to us and said, Hi, I'd love if you could focus on Shrill, A.D. Bryant, Lindy West in Show Your Work. I think the work they've done to provide better size representation on screen is great, and I know it's meant a lot to me to actually see myself and my body on screen in a way that had dignity rather than being a punchline. And then Lexi included a link to a Hollywood Reporter roundtable that featured comedy actresses. This is, of course, leading up to Emmy campaigning and nominations. And then Lexi continues, this roundtable with AD was interesting, especially in the questions she got fielded. So I'd love to hear your interpretation on it all. Thanks, Lexi. Thank you, Lexi, for uh, setting this topic. Uh, Let's go. Let's talk about Shrill. Let's talk about AD and Lindy. I mean, this is a great article and it sucks that I even have to start with. I'm so glad just that AD Bryant is included in this uh, for two reasons. Number one, because yeah, representation in size, in the type of projects that people do, but in particular of all of the people in this piece, AD Bryant is the one who is comedy with a capital C. Meanwhile, comedy is actually like things that are called comedies right now are Mm -hmm. half hour shows, right? And sometimes they're funny and sometimes they're also like deeply, deeply terrifying. 
Uh, I've heard some people call physical a comedy, a dark comedy. And like, I mean... Physical you know, with Rose Byrne is on Apple TV+. Plus. I would say it is a dark comedy, a black comedy. But it's kind of like all the comedies are pretty black these days. Yeah. Um, and I just now realized why maybe people aren't using the term black comedy so much anymore. So there you go. I'm learning on the fly. Um, but... Uh, this article is full of, here are the people in it. There's uh, Gene Smart talking about hacks. There's Kristen Milioti. Um, there's Kaylee Cuoco uh, talking about The Flight Attendant, which, by the way, if you haven't seen it, I love. Um, there's Master of Nuns, Lena Waithe, the, the most recent season, of course. Um, and then Mr. Mayor's Holly Hunter. I don't think anybody has watched Mr. Mayor yet. Maybe they have. I have not. Right. And the N80. And 80 Bryant for Shrill. Yes. So a lot of these are actresses, if you will, or in Lena Waithe's case, they are, you know, uh, writer creators, right? Um, yep. and, and people who are on SNL, before we get to the context of 80 herself and Shrill, are not often kind of welcomed into the, hey, you're also an actor circles without like a lot of fanfare. So yes, I was glad this was here. Yeah, I was glad it was here too. Um, and, you know, in terms of what Lexi's saying about the questions she got fielded, what's your take on that? Because that specifically is what Leslie is, uh, or sorry, Lexi is asking us about. Yeah, well, to be honest, the first time I read this article was coming off Lexi's email. And I went, oh, the kinds of questions she's being asked, mm, how about not that many questions? You know, when you do a mm -hmm. search yeah. For like, the, it's done by surname. And I was like, mm, there's not that many mentions of Bryant in here. And half of the ones that are, are like captions on a photo or whatever. So I, you know, maybe what Lexi is noticing and responding to is the fact that a lot of the questions are about type and size and not just sort of more generic, or given that it's one of these round tables, she just didn't feel like responding to some of them, right? Yeah. But I think that this is, I mean, it, it, it's from the same family of when you ask um, certain showrunners or certain actors or certain creators about representation and diversity, and they keep getting the questions, and they happen to be BIPOC creatives, right? And the BIPOC creatives, some of them are like, you know, I keep getting asked, why is representation important? Why is my show important? What my show is doing for the culture? But you should be asking white people, like, about the importance of rep representation. And, you know, and it's a fair point. Um, and I think that that's what Lexi's getting at in their note to us about the kinds of things that 80 inevitably has to keep talking about over and over again, whereas there are other people who are making a show about a 20-slash-30-something-ish person dating and their love life and their friend life and their city life who don't have to take those questions, right? Who can just talk about the work and who can talk about have, having fun with the work and even the costumes or whatever. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, you know, I would say my favorite or one of the most sort of notable quotes from 80 in this talk comes from a sequence where they're asking, originally it starts out with asking Kaylee Cuoco about her character in The Flight Attendant who drinks a lot, who I should say, let me not prevaricate, who is an alcoholic. Uh, and was there pushback and was there this? And then it goes into the conversation of the pressure to make your character likable or to not have them be complicated. Uh, and so there is where uh, AD says, you know, I would never have had a role like this, um, meaning one that is this complicated, this sort of three-dimensional, et cetera, had I not written it for myself. Um, she says, it was my only way to enter into the space, meaning I think sort of scripted drama, comedy, drama. Uh, and I felt 
that pressure on some level of writing a fat character with dignity that has a sex life, that's not a punchline, that her existence isn't a punchline, that there's comedy in her. And uh, I probably would have been cast as the funny friend for the rest of my life, like had she not written this, she explains. And I love playing those roles. I really do. But I just think there's more. So that kind of really gets at uh, what she's being asked and also what she's up against, right? For those who don't know, um, Shrill, the show, is adapted from a book of nonfiction essays by Lindy West, who is a writer um, on many things, on This American Life, among other things, who has been very outspoken about, I am a larger woman, and this is what that does to my view on the world. That kind of idea. Um, And so it makes sense that AD became attached to it and then was able to create this character. And the implication is she's going to have to keep doing that over Mm -hmm. and over and over, right? Yeah. It's not an implication. It's a fact, right? I mean, AD is in her 30s. And if people are casting leads for whatever, like from anything from Marvel to your next dark investigative drama or whatnot, what she's saying is, am I at the top of the list? And the answer, truthfully, is no. Well, no, because uh, certainly not for the kinds of roles that are going to be offered to, in particular in this uh, piece, to Kristen Milioti or to Kaylee Cuoco. Um, Mm -hmm. who are sort of, you know, traditionally, uh, conventionally attractive and still read as young. There's a whole other conversation to be had about how Kaylee Cuoco essentially rehabbed her image post Big Bang, but that's not what we're here for. Um, but yeah, it's there, there are quote unquote generic roles, which yes, are coded as white, hot, young. That yeah. will be offered to Kristen Milioti or to Kaylee Cuoco before they're ever offered to Aidy Bryant. Um, so yeah, she has to write them or create them or find them in order to to live in this space. Yeah, and then so and then being in this space, which is why Lexi wanted us to talk about this, meant that there are viewers out there who are like, finally, I, I'm I'm kind of seeing my own story, and it's done with you know again second or third time we've named this word dignity, um, which is a word that uh, Ada used and what Lexi repeated, where this is someone who's just out there living their life, right? It, it, there's nothing embarrassing about it. And beyond the embarrassments that typical people in that cohort deal with. Um, well, and yeah, so- let's be real. There are millions of embarrassing things about being single in your 20s and 30s yeah. and dealing with an undignified job or Correct. whatever, but it's not because uh, Nothing that is specific or, to some, someone's body type. No, or to the character is in any way uh, unusual, yeah. right? So yes, there's that. And, that. and that makes it tricky too because, you know, when the audience is is relating to stories like this, like the ones that Adie and Lindy are telling, then those questions do come up. What does it mean to you that people feel seen when they're watching what you're doing and, you know, you're representing them? And so it always comes back to having to talk about what you represent when really you're just like, hey, I just wanted to tell this story because I understand this story and this is a story that I put myself in because otherwise nobody else would put it in. You know, and it's sort of, that's, to me, that's what's like so complicated and layered about it because of course it's a beautiful thing that people like Lexi are like, man, this show's so good because that's me or there's elements of me, more elements than me than another show I've seen. And yet, like the whole thing is, you know, when we don't have to talk about it when we don't have to talk about it anymore, but we have to keep talking about it. Well, what's interesting is the way that it's addressed here. Um, I think they were asking about uh, things that made you uncomfortable or whatever. And there's a great quote from AD about sex scenes because Hulu, uh, Hulu, because Shrill is on Hulu, uh, i.e. it's cable, i.e. the expectations for the vulnerability or the sexuality or whatnot are different than on network, certainly different than on SNL, Right. And so she explains, you know, that sex scenes are hard. She's a size 18. And so there's a different process 
Uh, and there's a little bit of freakiness to that because you feel like you're going into uncharted territory. But then she says, uh, I always felt very fortified by the story where I was like, okay, I know what I'm here to achieve. And I was in the writer's room. So I know why we're doing this and what is funny about this. But that to me is a very every every woman, every performer thing in the sense of no matter who you are or how powerful you are, there are things that are a great idea in the writer's room at 2 p.m. one day that when it comes down to it and you're the one who has to do it at 9 p.m., you know, six weeks later on a freezing cold soundstage, it's kind of a different conversation. Um, And if we were doing, you know, actors versus TV writers, there would be a whole lot of actors who would yell at me like, oh, sure, Duanna. Yeah, it's just a thing. (laughs) It's no big deal. Like you get out there in your underwear or whatever. So I think that is one of the things that is that approaches soon. We won't have to talk about it anymore, which is to say, no matter who you are, the situation you readily agree to put yourself in uh, Mm -hmm. in May becomes your resentment in July, even if you were the one who created it. Yeah. But the bottom line is, I mean, I don't want to end this on a Pollyanna note, but there is progress. Um, and I feel like an article and a roundtable like this is a little bit of progress. You know, five years ago, these roundtables, you know, they were all the usual suspects, right? Nicole and they Kidman, were very, yeah. Rick, Rick, yeah, whoever. Well, I mean, five years ago, they wouldn't even address TV people. Let's be real. Um, (laughs) But also it was like, yeah, it's, you know, it's just a genuine character and it's hard. I mean, this is the continuing democratization of entertainment via Instagram and all the other areas, right? It's just like, no, who am I lying to? This was the part that was terrifying. This was the part that I was afraid would whatever. Yep. And this is a piece that is part of Emmy award campaign season. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. these roundtables are in service of like a whole process that we are all used to. I mean, if you've been really reading Lady Gossip, you know, they do the roundtables before the nomination period and like during the whole campaign season. And the fact of the matter is, is that 80's a player. You know, this isn't just a show that is like, hey, you know, it found its audience and it's so great. Like, I mean, they are putting money behind it clearly to see if it has a chance to make it on that ballot for a nomination. I think that's very exciting. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, A.D. Bryant, uh, I'm not going to get in on the game of whether she is going to do another SNL or just might do another episode of uh, another season of SNL, I should say. But either way, she has her eye on the next bigger elements of her career. Uh, and this is part of that. And I like that she has the the wherewithal and the opportunity to be like, no, no, let me position myself this way. It's great. I do like what you just mentioned about whether or not she's going to be on SNL because that leads me to um, Cecily uh, Strong. And AD and Cecily were missing from a lot of the last season that just ended because they were working on their own projects. So, and I know you had a note about Cecily. Well, yeah. So, uh, yes, AD was shooting Shrill. Um, and I think they might have appeared more had there not been the COVID restrictions, right? Like it, they had to be so tight at SNL. Uh, yeah. So, and uh, Cecily Strong was shooting Schmigadoon. Um, which is uh, a musical comedy Apple TV show um, coming out. Uh, She stars with Keegan-Michael Key. And so uh, I don't know, I haven't done too much deep reading in here, but uh, so Brigadoon is a musical where there's this kind of mythical town that only appears once every hundred years. Um, And so Schmigadoon is, you know, kind of a play on this, I guess. Uh, I love the cast. It's Cecily Strong, Keegan-Michael Key, Alan Cumming, Fred Armisen, Kristen Chenoweth, Aaron Tveit, who uh, our listeners are like, who? But then every time we talk about the pornography of the live switching on the Grease uh, mm-hmm. Grease Lightning um, you know, shot, that's Aaron Tveit playing Danny Zuko. So that's who that is. Um, so I'm really excited about it. It looks deeply dorky in the way that musicals always do. And I'm really excited for it. So yeah, it's just exciting to see what 
what everybody's going to do next, right? Um, Cecily and Adie and, of course, um, Kate McKinnon, who, like, I think for all intents and purposes, everybody is acknowledging, like, yeah, she's probably done. Yeah. Um, so thank you, Lexi, for that question. We really appreciate it. And we are going to move on to the next person who set our agenda today. That would be Adrian. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. And this is what Adrian wants to know. Um, I'd love to hear about Chrissy Teigen and her apologies, the way she can't stay off social media, and what you'd recommend she should do to rehab her image. Should she disappear for a bit and come back with another food-related project, lean into her image as John's wife and do the wife-mommy blogger thing, do a sit-down interview? If you were advising her, what would you recommend? So, thank you, Adrian, for that. Duanna? No, no, Duanna. No, you go. You go. Tell me. What do you think? Well, I mean, what I'd recommend in the immediate is let's stay off social media for a little longer. Like, no more essays, no more, like, whatever videos. And no, I do not think a sit-down interview is the answer. I know that there have been a lot of rumors. I don't believe them, actually, about sitting down with Oprah. I think that's a bad idea. I think, like, a a real break. A break needs to be a break needs to be a break. Yeah, I agree with that for sure. Um, and I would say, I think the problem, quote unquote, with the Chrissy Teigen story is, first of all, I believe it all. I believe Chrissy Teigen said lots of shitty things to lots of people um, because we have proof, but also because I believe it. I believe that she is genuinely uh, contrite or horrified at who she used to be. I believe that she thinks she is fixing things every time she comes online to say, I didn't mean to do this. I didn't mean to whatever. So that's the hardest part. And the reason I don't buy, as you don't buy, the idea of an Oprah interview or whatever is because there's no, there's no there, there. There's, it's, it's, there's nothing interesting or unique or unusual about, I used to be shitty and now I'm trying to be less so. And it, let me just be honest for a second. While never condoning the shitty things that she said, I'm sure that in the privacy of her own home, she is like, when are they digging up everybody else's dirt and shit? Because what what is the common refrain that we always say, right? Thank God my adolescence, my early 20s, my whatever, are not immortalized online forever. Yes? Mm -hmm. Um, But And so that's not an excuse, but I do think that Chrissy's story is not unusual. However, I do think that there is, I don't think Chrissy Teigen's the person for this, but I think our last story kind of touches on this as well. What are we doing that we don't believe? I'm tired of believing that people are perfect until we discover that they're not perfect. Like normalize believing that most people can be shitty at one time or another. I'm not saying people send tweets to that say, go kill yourself or whatever, but that there is something in so many people that could be seen as like shitty or selfish or self-serving or whatever. If I were her, I might, if I was inclined and if there was something that appealed to me, lean into the kind of project that pointed out um, that, you know, people don't have to be perfect. Yeah. I, I, I think to the, I think that, and I'm not saying that this, like, I'm not saying this is a criticism of Adrian, more as a criticism of, of what you were saying is perfection culture or fix it culture. Mm-hmm. Like even the question, what should she do to fix it comes from the wrong place because 
it, it implies an immediate thing, right? Like what can, what can happen? And I, I get it. We study PR. Mm-hmm, and so mm-hmm. you and I all the time have talked about the magic, like the magic strategy, a perfect playbook, a series of plays to address an issue. And I think that in and of itself kind of is, you know, beside the point. You know, like for, for Chrissy, I don't think, and for anybody, I don't think that there's like one thing that will fix it. It really, I mean, as I really as it sounds, as is an ongoing pro- process, just like changes. You can't well, prove to somebody like in one interview or one tweet or one Instagram post that like you're sorry. No, for sure. And I think I would say too that that is often the the, the gameplay when there's something to be salvaged, right? If somebody says or does something terrible and the new season of their show is about to drop, um, that's when you see those desperate tell-all, I'm so sorry kind of things, right? For better and for worse, Chrissy Teigen's brand is being Chrissy Teigen, which she will continue to be. That's who she is. Um, and so I think... You know, I wish that the phrases of like a season of life was used outside of super cheesy, like Christian influencer (laughs) land. But that's kind of what this is, right? This is the season in which she is going to have to step back, chill out, like just take five to 10 breathers. But the good news is that she will still be Chrissy Teigen on the other side. Um, And I would argue that, you know, there are probably a lot of people who have been in similar situations. Like, uh, this is not the same thing, but Kathy Griffin comes to mind um, in terms of you are kind of going along and everybody loves you. And then one thing that seems not that unlike everything else that you do threatens your whole existence. Uh, And the only thing to do is kind of like, okay, we're starting from the bottom again, then we're starting from, from, you know, from one person, one follower, 10 followers, whatever, who like who you are again, or where you're going. I mean, and I guess where I would give Chrissy advice, and this is from someone who's been there too. I mean, I have been, I, this, I have been called out, dragged up and, um, one thing that celebrities and their handlers are really shitty at is imposing a time limit to when you can ask somebody, a celebrity, a question Mm. about. Mm -hmm. And so I don't know that she's going to take this advice because again, these are celebrities and their handlers. But what I would like to see is after the break and for the foreseeable future, whenever Chrissy Teigen is finds herself in a situation where she's talking to somebody, giving an interview, and the question comes up, hey, remember that time? Uh, Courtney Stodden, all the things you said, is not a, I don't want to talk about that anymore. It's over now. I already wrote my Medium essay. I already posted. It's, I'm past it. Take the question as often as it comes up. Graciously. Yeah, I agree with you because um, it shows not being afraid to address it, right? And because uh, half of what people are sometimes looking for is the uh, the shocked stammer response, right? Um, so if you well, it's don't- not just that. I, it, I don't know if they're looking for the shock stammer, but everything about celebrity apologies for a lot of people is controlled. It's in a controlled environment, right? People are, sometimes people are like, your PR wrote that statement for you. Somebody wrote it for you. You, you know, and so in terms of having situations like this, take the control out of the person who's trying, like, you know, the Chrissy Teigen and let it happen in an organic setting. That's what people want to see. And and I think that's what contributes to conversation. Well, I agree with that, but I also think that part of what you're doing is making it clear if you are asked about this in several interviews over and over that, uh, that it's not something you're afraid of, that you're going to be okay with it. Then it doesn't become that, um, bombshell question, right? It doesn't become the, the goal of the journalist to let's see if we can get a quote on this. 
also, there may be something for uh, both Adrian and Chrissy Teigen in our next email. Um, our next one comes from Rosalie, uh, and she has a, uh, a recommendation. She says, Dear Joanna and Lainey, this is a TV series recommendation for you or for Show Your Work listeners. The French Netflix series, Call My Agent. Originally, 10%, i.e. 10%. Um, sorry, everybody, podcasters. I just actually have to pause and pause the podcast because uh, Lainey and I FaceTime while we're doing this podcast. Uh, and I need to tell you that the look that crossed her face when I read as she like furrowed her brow in disgust at my French accent. Like it was involuntary. She clearly didn't mean to do it, but it was so very apparent. Anyhow, yes, 10%, i.e. what an agent gets. Back to Rosalie's email. Hold it together, Lainey. Um, <laughs> This show is all about the behind-the-scenes work of actors' contracts and careers, exactly the kind of thing you talk about on the podcast. Also, it has a strong recurring theme about women's aging and how they navigate the sexism and superficiality of the entertainment industry. If you've loved to watch it, I'd love to hear If you've already watched it, I'd love to hear your thoughts. Rosalie. Um, so I haven't yet, Rosalie. This is a summer project, and I am very excited to... I've heard of this show, but I haven't gotten there. So uh, my sister will be annoyed that you're the one who pushed me over the top to watch it, <laughs> not her. Uh, but I'm super excited about it. And I'm excited because it's in French, uh, because I am now very into shows where you watch with the English subtitles because the dubbing is terrible. Yes? I I hate the dubbing. I don't know why people watch with dubbing. Just, you know, the original voices with the subtitles are so much fucking better. Um, I have heard so much about Call My Agent, especially because it is still changing and reacting to kind of the attention that it's gotten since it's been on Netflix. Uh, so I'm all about it. Uh, and I'll be interested also, I'm going to do a project. I'm going to ask my agents, uh, about their feelings on it because, you know, one assumes that, uh, we haven't had kind of a lot of on-screen agent portrayal. And for a lot of people, it's still, uh, Jeremy Piven in Entourage, right? What yes. was that guy's name? Ari. Uh, yeah, right. Um, who is, of course, based on an, a real person, right? A real agent, yeah. Ari Emanuel, Ram Emanuel's brother. It's it's weird. Um, so I'm checking it out. I'm excited. Are we doing this together? Are you going to watch this or did you and you didn't tell me? I haven't watched it. Definitely also on my list. Um, so thank you, uh, Rosalie, for giving us summer homework. Uh, and just before we leave this topic, can you please just grace us with the way that you think uh, – 10% should be pronounced in French? <laughs> no, I'm not going to, because that's a lot of pressure now. Why? You're very, <laughs> you have your, your French speaking, your French language. Come on. <laughs> there we go. Amazing. Okay. Um, next, we got a lot of questions, not surprisingly, about the royals. So this is just one, which I think captures it succinctly. Um, and you know, it, it was a longer email, but this is really what the question is. Um, I'm very curious about what your thoughts are on how all this nonsense, meaning the Royal nonsense, nonsense over the last several months will affect the Royal family in the coming years. The Royal brand seems to have been irreparably damaged and they've really exposed how petty and nearsighted their strategy is. Who's advising them? How is this going to affect them after Queen Elizabeth passes away and Charles ascends to the throne? Um, so, yeah, we have touched on this, especially after the television event of the year. And, you know, Duane, I think that our, some of our predictions came true in the sense of, like, they clearly did not get good PR and they keep, well, in our minds, not really handling this well. But it has been a fucking straight mess for, like, all of this year, but previous so um, let's talk about the royal brand um, and whether or not you think it's irreparably, we think it's irreparably damaged, um, as, as um, this letter is talking about. 
and um, how uh, how it's going to affect them after the queen leaves and Charles ascends. Well, look, you're obviously more of a scholar of uh, the royal brand, i.e. everybody who isn't Harry and Meghan. Uh, But (laughs) yes, I think this was a fatal error and maybe not for the reasons that people expect. Uh, If we believe that the whole thing with the like, look at Will and Kate, look at Harry and Meghan was supposed to be like, look how young and cool the royals can be. And if we also believe what we've been hearing about, like, Charles wants to keep it tight, there aren't going to be 58 royals on the payroll anymore, right? Then what people were going to dine out on would have been the children and the the cousins hanging out and, like, the, like the cousins going on roller coasters together or, you know, wandering a zoo or whatnot would have been what bought you a lot more goodwill. Now that the children that we will be looking at, uh, George and Charlotte and Louis, are all from the same family, it's going to feel a lot more manufactured and less like sweet and organic and maybe we should just keep paying for these people for the next 150 years than it would have done. Um, and, uh, any, I'm just going to go ahead and say that any images that we see that are like, look at this diverse group of children that Charlotte is in, or, you know, that Louis goes to school with or whatever, are going to be very manufactured. And that is a giant grievous error. Children are, uh, cute to look at and people like them and, that was a tactical error. That's my that's my statement. Yeah, I, I listen. I don't think it's a straight up uh, like one to one comparison, but I think if we're talking about the royal brand as an institution, then we have other pop culture institutions that are also increasingly becoming archaic and have had to like modify and adjust and it may be too late. And so, you know, for the purposes of our focus and the entertainment industry, I'm talking about the Oscars. I'm talking about the Grammys, right? Right. And the the Grammys in particular have been under fire for not, you know, really being on top of what people who love music these days are on about. You know, for instance, like I'm still pissed off about the weekend, right? Like, uh, sure. Yes, absolutely. And Drake has been pissed off for a decade. And when it comes to the Oscars, they have now tried to diversify. There are a whole bunch of new rules that are kicking in soon about like how a film has to be set up in front of and behind the camera. There's a huge checklist. We don't have to go through that now. But um, they're, you know, as we've heard, they're also trying to expand the membership base, right? Like we, that, mm-hmm. we heard that, old, that remember that statistic, like 90% of the Academy is old white men. So they're inviting new members and the board is changing and all of that. And so when we talk about these old institutions, I mean, there's no older institution than the British Royal family. And these institutions take a long time to change longer and less nimble than, younger institutions, younger companies, but the consequences are like, it may not be like fixable from a PR situation because people don't give a fuck. Like if you think about Oscar ratings and Grammy ratings, people aren't watching, like, you know, they would rather TikTok themselves that night. Right. Absolutely. And that's fine. Like, and I think the, the British royal family would love to sort of take up that tack of uh, people don't care and we're just random people who happen to be in this family and, and we don't need all this focus, except that their, their entire lifestyle is supported by the taxpayers, right? You said there's no greater institution than the British royal family, but I would argue than the British empire. Like we're talking big, big talk here. There's a lot at stake. Uh, And what they're going to need to do essentially to stay alive, nobody's going to do this, but I'm just going to say this. What they're going to need to do is for somebody who is in the role and intends to stay in the role 
to come out and say, fuck yeah, there's racism around here. Fuck yeah, there's <laughs> shit going on around okay. here. Uh, no, I get it. I know. But that is what it's going to need in order to actually have people go, oh yeah, this is an institution that I can continue to stick around with. Here's where you need a little more, like a little bit more Chrissy Teigen. <laughs> kind of. Yeah. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Here's where you need a little bit more like, hi, I'm sorry again. Hey, this is where I screwed up. Hey, this is where we need to fix. But that's just not built into that DNA of like, it's, it's big British culture to begin with. And it's British royal culture where you just like, don't talk about things. You don't talk about feelings. You don't point out mistakes, there's like a veneer of perfection. To go back to that thing that you were talking about, Duanna, this like, this holding people to perfection. Well, I mean, this family is all about that illusion of pristineness. Well, anytime there's an issue of less than pristine, it is summarily like just cut out, right? Uh, Sarah Ferguson, never seen her near a microphone again, right? Diana, I mean, we know, but also think about the lengths she went to to indicate that she herself was part of a problem, right? Like just to get her own story out in which she was like, yeah, sure, make me ridiculous, whatever, like point out all my foibles. Um, and, uh, you know, Prince Andrew, we're never going to see that guy again. Like anytime <laughs> anybody's like, eh, we're not that great. They're like, hush, that's enough. Um, and then they're like, you know, shipped off to somewhere. So uh, yeah, it's, 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 it's not going to be good. It's uh, the, this is going nowhere. Good is all I'm going to say. The idea mm-hmm. of a Royal family, there's a reason we don't know the names of any of the other Royals in other countries, right? Cause there, oh. I mean, some there are like, but you're in terms of like not nine out of 10 people recognizability. You're right. And they don't live these public lives, right? If Princess uh, Sardinia of Zakovia um, went to <laughs> a like a, a, a Avengers like premiere, nobody would know, like you know, or they'd be like, "This is so and so," and everybody'd be like, "Cool, there's a there's a blonde person." Like nobody would know who they were, what that meant, why that was important. This is also kind of of their own making in the sense of we're also iconic, like, media stars. So, mm-hmm. yeah, now you're eating it. Sorry. No, I, I agree. And I think that it goes back to, you know, um, a consistent thread that you've always talked about, um, or several cons- consistent threads. Um, the first one would be you have always talked about giving people what they need versus what they want. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And that applies to storytelling, but it's, yes. you know, that also applies to branding because what is branding? It's the story of a brand, right? Mm-hmm. And the want and need here where the British Royal family finds itself, I mean, we're not even at a crossroads. I think we've passed that crossroads where the, the need back in the day, and they always talk about, you know, the stoicism of the royal family, the consistency of the royal family. Ugh, it was yeah. calming for a lot of people, especially during war times. And there was a need that, that was addressed then. But those needs change according to the public, like your demo, right? Your audience. And I think in uh, these Can I just times, say yeah. the people paying the bills, your audience Correct. is right. who you want to keep paying you tons of money. That's right. And here's the second point of what you you always say. And I know that this word has lost a little bit of its luster and sometimes people are kind of over it because it gets said too much. But you you often talk about authenticity mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and in the storytelling, but also part of authenticity being like people make mistakes. I will shout it till the day right? I die. People make mistakes and we don't, you know how, like they used to say, we don't talk about how people get pregnant. What happened? Women got pregnant who didn't want to be pregnant, right? Or we don't talk about uh, racism. What happened? Racism went unchecked. 
You know what we still as a society are fucking terrified of talking about? Mistakes. I am waiting for the high profile person to write the book or do the talk or whatever of like, here's all the mistakes I made. Because until we normalize mistakes, they're gonna keep getting made. Yes? Exactly. Exactly. And to make it, to put to put it into the most basic terms, which is, you know, I always hang on to this as something that you, and this is fitting that on our last episode of the season, I'm coming back to something that I will always remember. This is why you always preferred Blair to Serena in Gossip Girl. Every time. And so for the royal family, like the Serena, like the boring the golden work anymore. Yeah, yes. no. It's not our current need versus want anymore. What people need is a Blair. And a Blair is someone who fucked up, but as you always said about her, what made her interesting is she wanted things. We never knew what the fuck Serena wanted. Mm-hmm. And I'm just actually thinking out loud that probably the British royal family were also taken down by Instagram, um, which is to say... When you have iconic people who will tell you when they're having a sad day or a hungover day or when they feel good about their tits and that's why this picture is up here, um, that's the kind of icon we are now celebrating. And so people like the royals who are like, hello, everything continues to be fine, thin and wonderful. Um, You know, like (laughs) what does that give to us? It gives us nothing. They don't, to your point, want anything. So why do we care? It's going to be a radical, radical, radical shift, um, if any, that will actually have people continue to be interested. So thanks to all of you for asking about the Royals and putting it on the lineup today. Um, We really appreciate it. It has been one of the bigger PR strategy brand stories of, and, and, you know, to date, there's been no bigger television event, really, like, other than... Like, the ratings for that Oprah interview are still, like, unmatched. I mean, yeah, but what's so interesting is, uh, and this is boring TV talk, and I won't go on about this for too long, but there was no preamble in that piece. There was no, you know, the package at the top of any Oprah show that's like, here is a short story about who these people are, what we're talking about, and why you should care. They didn't do that because everybody already knows everybody Mm -hmm. is following and watching. Um, but it's going to be hard to try and sell a different story than that from scratch. Um, so next season, I am sure we will talk about them again, at least once, because these people are not going to, (laughs) these people in their PR and their comm staff are not going to do the thing that is a good thing. No, it's a, it's a guarantee. They'll go the wrong way. And finally, um, all right. I'm so excited yeah. for this last one. And finally, um, the last item on the uh, lineup that you all wanted is from Miriam. Miriam opens with, how do you explain Benner for 1 and 2, 1.0 and 2.0 to the TikTok generation? My 11-year-old niece is all about Olivia Rodrigo. My niece couldn't give a fuck about Benefer. Does the TikTok generation deserve Benefer? Thank you, Miriam. <laughs> Love this question um, as a way to end our episode and take us to next season. I mean, okay, are we being honest here? Does the TikTok <laughs> generation care about Benefer? Of course they don't care. No, they don't care. This is about parents fucking and the TikTok generation (laughs) is not, they're going to be horrified by the concept of parents fucking. Yes. Um, I mean, if they want to, if they're trapped with you somewhere and they want to know why we care, we certainly can write a, you know, 17 paragraph essay. But do the kids care? Will they care? Absolutely not. In fact, if I understand correctly, isn't Olivia Rodrigo 
the Jennifer Aniston of her generation? Like, isn't that the reason for the song which begat the album, which begat the stardom? That she was, uh, she was like rejected, right? Like, that's where we're going here. Yep, she was rejected. She wrote a song about it. It's called Driver's License. Um, and that story is like, you know, one of the reasons why the song became such a huge smash hit. Although it's also just a really great, relatable song to it's every It's great. Generation. Don't get me wrong. It's great. But if you dig into it behind just the song for yes. song's sake, it's literally about, look how I got fucked over, right? But I, I think here's what's interesting about Olivia Rodrigo. Like, you know, we're talking about what, gener- what a younger generation, this 11-year-old niece couldn't give a fuck, right? What, there are some stories that only appeal to that generation. Like... I get it. I get why an 11-year-old wouldn't be into Benefer 1 or 2. And yet, here's Olivia Rodrigo, 17, 18 years old. And for sure, the early push behind her song was to the 11-year-olds out there. But a hit doesn't become a hit unless it it checks all quadrants of all demos. For sure. Certainly not a hit of this size. And so somehow... She was able to transcend just the 11-year-old demo and hit like 21-year-olds, 31-year-olds, 41, 51, because everybody can relate to fucking driving around aimlessly by the house of the person that you used to date, seeing if they were home. Like it is, it's, so this, there is something very special. And I think that um, in show business, that's what, like, that's what the magic sauce is, right? is that artist who can cover all the demos. Yes, but I would say an artist does different things depending on who is a fan of them, right? Um, A case in point here, I think, is Britney Spears, um, who is known worldwide, who is celebrated musically, worldwide, right? Who people are extremely fond of. My dad can sing anywhere from five to seven Britney songs. Um, (laughs) But when the issues with the conservatorship came up last week and suddenly uh, Britney's confession of everything that had been going on, uh, or confirmation, I should say, of many people's suspicions, uh, there were, I spent some time like on the New York Times comment section or the Washington post comment section Fun and the place. Yeah. Well, but <laughs> well, better than many comment sections, yeah. but there were all these people and you could picture them, right? Like, like college professors in, uh, North Carolina or, or Maine or whatever, who were like, I had no idea. This is terrible. Why doesn't she just, whatever. My point being, I believe that the the music or the art can reach all generations and all places, but the the story and the person and the personality behind it is for those people who who see themselves in this case in Olivia Rodrigo or who want to, right? To your point, the 12-year-olds, the 14-year-olds, right? They're the ones who see themselves in mm-hmm. in her. Um, and so I buy that. And so that brings us back to Benefer 2.0. Um, <laughs> and to me, like the story here is, hey, guys, um, there's this 15-year-old and she has a 12-year-old sister and a nine-year-old brother. Um, and then there's these two twins who are 13 um, and their parents used to go out before they were all born. And now they're going, they're fucking again. And the answer is gross. Um, but like, those are the correct ages. I was doing the math here, by the way, on Ben Affleck's kids and, uh, and Jennifer Lopez's kids. If there's a reality show in 18 months about this blended family of teenagers, I will watch every episode with <laughs> my kid. That will be absolutely spectacular. Um, but yeah, they don't care because it, it doesn't, there's no world in which Benefer either point O is going to prescribe them a way to live. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. For now. What well, at all? I mean, look, I don't want to get into I I don't think I think I think monogamy is done after our generation. 
I think like uh, marriages and things are done. I think these kids are going to be like, why are you so fucking serious? Like, go like hook up with that person if you want to. Why are you like the whole point of Ben Affleck is he's like kind of comically miserable. And they're just going to be like, why was that old guy always miserable? Like, that's the narrative. No, I, I don't think it's going to like, you're right. Is it going to have an, a, the attachment that, you know, our generation has to these stories? Of course not. But when I say for now, I mean, what also happens um, if with any generation, even this one, is that they discover later on, not when they are 11, but maybe when they're 19, those like every generation goes back and like digs up the old and is like, what? I didn't know that happened. This is awesome. And then fucks with it for a long time. Like, you know, that's why people are um, like, you can see it actually happening. Like once a week it happens on Twitter. Like what? Gwyneth Paltrow and Brad Pitt used to date? What? JLo and Diddy used to be together? What? And then they go back into it. I mean, I just talked to an author who is super obsessed with, I mean, this is a throwback. She's 30, maybe 30. And she's uh-huh. super obsessed with James Taylor and Carly. Sider, Carly, right. James and, and James Taylor and Joni Mitchell. So I think we, this is a cycle that happens all the time. And I do think that there is a generation that will look back on this being like, oh my God, Selena Gomez and Justin Bieber used to be together. That is what's going to happen. Well, I'm so glad that you used the example of James Taylor and Carly Simon, because I just figured out our whole plan for uh, this summer and next year. And I'm sorry if you thought we were taking time off because I have a plan for you. The reason that I care, I think that you care in many ways about the James Taylor and Carly Simon, the James Taylor and Joni Mitchell, Mitchell um, is because of the incredible Sheila Weiler book uh, about uh, Carly and Joni and um, Carol King. Carol King. Girls that Like Us. Called Girls Like Us. It was a huge, huge deal. It was spectacular. It was a great read and it brought all of them to life for me somebody who did not grow up with that music in my house. All this to say, we have to write a sweeping epic book about Benefer 1.0 and 2.0. <laughs> there it is. Explain the context to the children so that they may fall in love with them anew. Anyway, Miriam, I don't think we answered the question for you, but I mean, it was a great, this was what we wanted to end on because yeah, sure. I mean, there are millions of people caring about things on TikTok that we haven't even discovered yet. And by the time we hear of it, they'll have moved on and have like deleted TikTok from their phone and they'll have been on to the next. But if you want to try to explain it to your niece, uh, I would say the places to start are Goodwill Hunting, followed by Jenny from the Block, um, <laughs> and then just like talk about that. That's what things were. That's how things looked. And these are the two people who came together and see what we get out of that. Thank you all so much for setting up the lineup for us this week. This is so fun. I, I feel like this should be, we should do this more often. You want to just like have have people just dictate? I like, like when decisions yeah. are taken out of our hands. Okay, okay, I get you. Um, um, anyway, yes, thank you all for your submissions for setting up this lineup. This has been so much fun. We are taking a break, as we have said, but we still want to hear from you things that you love, things that make you think about show your work, uh, and ways that you are spending your uh, hot vaxxed summer. Um, because I, I need to put the ED on it, but, uh, <laughs> we cannot wait to hear all the things that you're thinking. This is why it's great because you guys keep us so informed with, uh, what you care about, what you think about, what you hate that we said. And we've already been assigned homework. Um, so yes, call my agent is going to be our homework. There's a lot of other homework. As mentioned, it is Emmy season. A lot of campaigning is happening now that things are opening it back up, uh, especially in Hollywood. Um, there are new shows that are coming out. We're waiting on Insecure, uh, season final five. 
Um, we're waiting on a lot of new shows that are, have been in the pipeline. So we will be back in the fall, raring to go, have done our homework. Hopefully you will too. I will not be working on my French. Uh, so I will be here to horrify Elaine again. But until then, <laughs> au revoir. Thank you so much for listening. Subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts. Please continue to write to us, leave comments and reviews. Until next time, work hard, show your work. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.